Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. He's forgiven us of all our iniquity, healed all of our infirmities, set us on high, delivered our life from the pit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Renews our youth like the eagle. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, before you're seated, just turn to somebody and say, we are free indeed. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus has set us free, but there's an enemy that don't want you to walk in freedom. And that's why he gave us authority over that enemy. That we can walk free just like he's made us to be free. Amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. It's good to be free. How many of you remember when you were bound? I once was bound, but now I'm free. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Well, Friday we went to the assisted living uh, facility in Bow Harbor, on Bow Harbor in uh, Punta Gorda Isles, and had a Christmas party for them. About 25 people showed up, played bingo, sang Christmas songs, had cake, cookies. What more could you ask for? I was happy. <laughs> but it wasn't about me, that's true. But the people were extremely happy. About 25 people showed up, and people were extremely happy. And then people got saved, recommitted their lives. So, you know, that's always the best part of it. And uh, everybody was so thankful when they were leaving, and they were going up to everybody that was there working and said, how they appreciated it, and uh, it was a great way to start off the Christmas season, start off December. But I had one woman come up to me, and she said, I so appreciate you being here. This is so nice that you would do this for us. She says, nobody usually comes here to do this. It's like we're just forgotten over here. And I was like, oh, oh, you know. We don't want them to feel forgotten. You know, they're precious people. Precious in the sight of God. Amen. And you know, for some of them, this is their last chance to get saved. You know, before they step on over. Um, back in the 80s, we used to go to the nursing homes a lot. I mean, some really, really bad cases in the nursing home. And we would go into their rooms and talk to them. And you could see that they're just covered in fear. And a lot of them were afraid to die. But well, we would minister to them and they would get saved and we'd go back the next month and they weren't there anymore. They mounted up with wings and flew off. They went on into heaven because there was no more fear anymore. And they could peacefully lay down and say, I'm ready to go. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. It's called Last Breath Ministries, you know. Amen. Amen. It's never too late as long as there's breath in a person. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
verse 7. We were here last week, so let's just do a quick review of what we talked about last week, and then we'll go a little further. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. And last week we were talking about how it's needful to wrestle with spiritual truth. You know, uh, Pastor Tim talked about some of that at 930 service. And uh, it's just needful. You have to wrestle with spiritual truths because our flesh don't want to do what the Word of God says. The flesh don't want to walk in the truth of life. It wants to walk in what it wants to walk in. And, um, you know, if we're going to be a champion in life, that's something you grow into. You don't get born into it. You know, when you got born again, you became a champion spiritually. But you know what? You also have a soul and you live in a body. And it's the soul and the body that affects this life and touches this life. So that champion that God made us to be spiritually has to come into our soul, into our body, into our life and grow into being a champ in life. Amen. Amen. And we talked about how you had to practice with the small battles before you go on into the big battles. And the only way we can get trained to be a champion is by constant practice. Constant practice. Amen. Do you know how David uh, defeated Goliath? That's right. He practiced with the bear and the lion. The lion and the bear was the practice of life before the big battle came with Goliath. If you run away from the lion and you run away from the bear, Goliath will crush you to the ground. Amen. You have to stand in these spiritual battles. It is imperative that we have a sound mind if we're going to stand strong in the battles of life. David had a sound mind when he faced Goliath. He said that this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like the lion, he'll be like the bear, and the God that delivered me from the lion and the bear will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine, and who is he that he should taunt the armies of the living God? He knew, see, David knew he had a covenant with God. He proved it with the lion and the bear. You know, you have to prove your covenant with God. And if all you are is a one thing focused for your whole life, you will never prove God, because there's so many things in life to deal with. And it's the little things in life is where you prove God. And then we grow in those things. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. And that's what develops a sound, disciplined mind. That's what discipline is. It's, it's in the mind. There's a sound mind, a disciplined mind. God is looking for resolute, committed believers who know their place of victory in Christ. Amen. You know it, and remember, to know it means to what? Experience it and participate in it. So to know it means to live in that victory that Christ has given to us. And these resolute, committed believers will challenge the devil, storm the gates of hell, and remain faithful until the job's complete. They'll challenge the devil, they'll storm the gates of hell, and notice he never says anything about getting in somebody else's face. Because our wrestle isn't with flesh and blood. Amen. But you see, the, the natural man can only deal with what it sees. So therefore, that's all that it can work with. But yet, what's behind what you see never goes away until you deal with that. Amen. Spiritual warfare, uh, spiritual warriors step forward and enlist in the army of God and fearless, fearlessly look the devil in the eye and do battle. Because you'll never deal, deal a death blow to the devil unless you get face to face with him. Amen. 
And like in any battle, risks are certain, but far outweighed by the great rewards that comes from the victory. And also we understand the far-reaching consequences of choosing not to fight, choosing not to wrestle with the spiritual truths of life, not to stand and deal with your flesh. The consequences of not dealing with that means when Goliath comes, you have no protection. Amen. Verse 8. It says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy was becoming ashamed because of fear. He was identified with Paul, and that could be very dangerous. Nero burned Rome. Nero blamed, he went, he, the council called Nero in before him, before them, and Nero blamed it all on the Christians, and he said the Christians burned Rome, and that guy Paul, he's the leader of those Christians, and they all rose up and burned Rome. So, therefore, what Nero did, he blamed it on the Christians. Okay, you see that going on today, don't you? Yeah, it happened on January 6th, but we're not going over there today. But you see the same thing. The devil hasn't changed his strategies. The devil's the same. And if you're aware of his schemes and his strategies, you can win in life. And that's what the Bible's all about. It teaches you about his schemes and his strategies. In life, for every single person on the face of the earth, hardships come, trials come, troubles come. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, But as a believer, if we will stand, there is a special working of God's power that is available. Because it says, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the Greek word kata. Intensive word means controlled, conquered, and dominated. Join with me in suffering for the gospel controlled, conquered, and dominated by the power of God. That's what worked in all the martyrs. See, and this is why people look at the martyrs and how they got martyred and the horrendous death that they went through. And we think, oh, I could never do that. You never could on your own. And neither could they. But they would hang them on crosses, dip them in oil, and then light them up and use them as streetlights. And all the time they were singing psalms to the Lord. Why? Because they were connected in the power of God. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14. So there is a suffering, and we've talked about the suffering, and it's the suffering of the flesh, not allowing the flesh to get its own way and um, uh, operating in the Word of God and controlling that flesh, the soul, the emotions, right? And we talked about how Jesus even suffered those same things. 1 Peter 4, verse 14 says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, the word reviled in the Greek means to be defamed, disparaged, and to be reproached, to unbraid and to chide. It means to be abused verbally. You ever have anybody get in your face and abuse you verbally? And you know you just want to punch him in the face. You want the five-fold ministry to just... 
right? I mean, that's how you feel. You just don't let it happen. But God's glory, the spirit of glory and of God rests on those who entrust their very lives to him and are attacked or are persecuted for his namesake. It talks about that in Revelation chapter 12, where it says that the dragon of old, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the dragon of old was thrown out, and he came to make war with those that hold to the testimony of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And this is part of suffering the flesh. You have to suffer the flesh. You know, how do you think Jesus felt on a cross that, I mean, the, the pictures that you see are always wrong, but they have them hanging up on a high cross and all, but it was actually at pretty much at eye level, the cross. And he was naked hanging on that cross and uh, been beat, tortured, and they were all spitting at him. They were all talking ugly at him. You know, why don't you come down? You, 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 you've saved and healed other people. Why don't you come off that cross and do it for yourself? You know, just verbally abusing them all the time. Totally embarrassed in that condition. But this is a part of suffering the flesh. And how far has the theology of the church fallen? Because many have the misconception that walking by faith means they should be able to effortlessly glide all the way to God's destination with no hiccups, with no struggles. Well, you're just lining yourself up with the false teachers of Paul's day. And those are what we call, you know, what are we actually looking for? We're looking for a life of prosperity. No hiccups, no troubles, everything just smooth and everything just glides right along. That's a life of prosperity. And that's when you forget to be obedient. I mean, and you have to really pay attention to this. And there's some, listen, I'm going to just tell you this up front. There can be some who do not prosper in life because God knows you'll take your eyes right off of him and put it right onto that prosperity and never think about him. Like right now, maybe, you know, you have bills that need to be paid and you're thinking, oh, I need to believe God. I, I, got, I need to believe God for these bills to be paid. But then when there's money there, it's like, oh, I got the money. No big deal. Until it all disappears. And then you're like, oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, Jesus, help me. You know, well, you forget to be obedient because of prosperity. And this is why you grow slowly. You increase slowly so that you remember where to keep your eyes. You know, it's kind of like losing weight. People want some diet to where, oh, I want to lose like, you know, I want to lose 30 pounds in like two weeks. And you might be able to, but I guarantee you, you'll put it right back on again. You know why? Because your goal is to lose that 30 pounds, and once you do, you'll go back to living just the way it was. But the best thing you could do is, like, lose two pounds a week. Slow, slow. Up a little, back down again. Up a little, back down again. Slowly, 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 until you develop a discipline of life. And that's what you need. You see, you need a discipline of life. You don't need a diet. That's what, because that's what life's all about. You want your life to increase, you need a discipline of life. You don't need some fast, quick, just get me out of this. No, because you'll be right back in it in a heartbeat. 
because you didn't change nothing about yourself. What, why are you in the trouble you're in? Because of you. Because of me. I mean, I know me, and I know my problems that I'm not telling you about, but I know what they are. And I know that I create my own issues. And until I change, nothing else is going to change. Don't shout me down. So what's needed in life? Discipline. Discipline. That's the only thing that's going to change your life. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and discipline or a sound mind. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And discipline's not even a four-letter word. Amen. The Word of God tells us that there's a fight to faith. Fight. Amen. When you step into faith, you appear on the battle line. Just like David, he appeared on the battle line because of faith. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? King, let me go. Let me go against it. Let me go again. Oh, you can't do it. My God that delivered me from the lion and the bear. My God that delivered me in those small battles, he'll deliver me from this big battle because there's no difference. God is what it's about, not who I'm facing. Amen. 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 So when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he was all by himself. In fact, if you go over, back over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, run back over there for a moment. He says, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. All that were in Asia turned away from him. So Paul was all by himself with the exception of Dr. Luke. You know, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. All right, Luke was Paul's constant companion. Good thing, considering how he got beat and everything else, he needed somebody to tend to his wounds. So Luke was his constant companion. And he's the only one that was with him. So with Paul being by himself, you think he's suffering rejection. Well, is it that part of suffering the flesh? You know, when you, when you have rejection, what are you going to do? Are you going to get into the moly grubs and feel, oh, nobody likes me? Are you going to get into that, or are you going to connect into the power and the glory of God? Suffer that flesh. And there he is in the middle of rejection, and he's writing to Timothy to encourage him. Paul wants Timothy to know what he's going through, and what he's experienced, and therefore he has the right to tell Timothy, I know what you're dealing with, hang in there. Just hang in there. He, he, he has the right to say that to him. You know, if we think our problems are unique and special, then we're going to need a unique and special savior. You're going to need a unique and special healer. Isn't that right? You're going to need a special word for deliverance. You're going to need to wait for so-and-so to come into town and maybe wave his hand over you and make everything okay. Who was that? He went to Elisha. Naaman. Naaman. That was Naaman. Why didn't he just come out and wave his hand over me and make everything okay? That's what a lot of believers want. They run to this meeting and run to that meeting. Just wave your hand and make everything okay. Why don't you wave your eyes across that word and start meditating on it? No, our problems are not unique and special. There is one Savior, one healer, one deliverer, and he covers everything. 
Amen. It's not Jesus was for other people. I know that worked for you, but my case is special. Oh, you are so special. Stop. Paul understood rejection. And here's something that's very important that you must know and remember. Paul knew that some people in the middle of battle will go AWOL. That means absence without leave. They're going to be gone. They're not going to be hanging around. Hanging around. And when spiritual warfare is going on, they're just not going to be found. But he understood that. You don't criticize people. I mean, what's your shortcoming that can be criticized? Everybody has shortcomings. So you don't criticize people when they go AWOL. They go run and hide or whatever they do. It's just like during COVID. There's some people that gave themselves to it. There's some people that didn't. Well, if I didn't, I don't expect you to criticize me for not. And if you did, then I'm not going to criticize you for doing it. Criticism's a killer. Criticism, you know what criticism turns into, right? Gossip. Gossip and strife. And it's, it's not good. Especially if you're carrying the gossip and the strife, it's not good for you. Now, you can gossip and have strife all you want about me, but it won't affect me. You're the one drinking the arsenic. Amen. Well, I'm not going to forgive them. I'll tell you what, after what they did and what they said, I'm going to hold this against them. Well, you're, you're drinking arsenic waiting for me to die. I'm not going to die. Are you with me? Paul maintained a victorious attitude. He was not dragged down by rejection. He's still encouraging Tim, Timothy. He was not angry. He was not resentful. He did not hold grudges against those that rejected him. They rejected Jesus. They'll reject anybody that tries to live godly. Where are we? 2 Timothy, go to chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. He's facing death but yet he's talking victoriously. Why? Because he had a clear view of eternity. He knew death is not the end. It's just the doorway to step on over, right? And he said, I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith, all right? The word fight in the Greek is the word agonizo, and it means the strife, contention, and contest for victory or mastery. And of course, agonizo is where we get our word agony. I fought the agony. Amen. Most people don't fight the agony. They just feel the agony. But Paul said he fought the agony. Amen. It was an unbelievably difficult contest that Paul had to deal with. Now, thank God we don't all have to deal with that, but we all have to deal with something. But Paul did not budge. He stayed in the fight and he stayed faithful to his call. Amen. You know, I remember when, uh, I think it was back in 19, no, 2000, maybe 99, no, 99, I think it was. We went to Thailand, 
and we went up to the uh, Bible school in Chiang Mai to teach up there for about two weeks. And uh, while we were there, uh, Charlie brought us up into the mountains so that we could go preach up in the mountains to the mountain people. And while you're up there, you know, you're thinking, oh, we're in the mountains of Thailand. We're really doing something. You know. So uh, while we're there, now I was in my 40s at the time, and while we're there, I'm, we're speaking to a man that's in his 60s. I think he's in his late 60s at the time. And he uh, tells us a story about his grandfather, how his grandfather used to travel on elephant and go village to village and preach the gospel. Now, this guy's in his 60s. This is about 1999. So we're talking about not his father, but his grandfather. When his grandfather was a young man, he would go on elephant from village to village and preach Jesus. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, what's my problem? You know, I'm doing what? You know, he's the one that had it difficult. I didn't have it difficult. He's the one that had it difficult. I felt a little bit like a pansy at that point. I don't live in the mountain, you know, come on. <laughs> Are you with me? Amen. So what did, what did that man do by preaching the, the gospel on the elephant? He was sowing seed. And what were we doing? We were reaping what another has sown. That's all it was. Everybody has a part. Nobody is the person. When you think you are the person, no, no. So, you know, my ego took a little step down on that day. <laughs> a little fight, a little, little step, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I fell off the elephant. <laughs> but a lot of times we don't understand the difficulties that people go through. We see surface stuff, and then we want to judge, you know, but we don't know what people are dealing with. Amen. He said here, I have fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. Now, the Greek, the Greek structure says it this way. The good fight, I have fought one. The good fight, I fought one. That's what it means in the Greeks. So the emphasis is, not on, the, is, is on the fight. That's what the emphasis is. Not that he fought it, but the emphasis on the fight. The good fight. The good fight. I have fought one. So the emphasis is on fight. So what should you do? Fight. Because it's a good fight. It's a good fight. If you remember that, you'll remember that no matter what you deal with, it's a good fight and I'm designed to win it. Amen. Paul had no regrets. He stayed on course. He hung in there to the finish and stayed with what God gave him to do. Amen. And that's why Jude, go over to Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Just before Revelation. There's only one chapter so you couldn't miss it. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. He says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our coming salvation, uh, about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints, that you would contend. That word contend in the Greek, it means to exert intense effort. 
This isn't about, oh, I'm just going to sit down, I'm just going to believe God for this. No, it's intense effort. It's putting everything you have into it because it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight. Amen. Contend earnestly. Intense effort is to be exerted. It means it's like an athlete that contends for the prize. Do you think the athlete contending for the prize is just going to go to McDonald's or going to go to Dairy Queen? Oh, just kind of hang out. Oh, let's say 20 minutes before the race. I'll get there. No, no. He's going to contend for a prize. Look at the message translation. It says, dear friends, I've dropped everything to write to you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write insisting, begging that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to God and to cherish. Insisting and begging that you fight with everything you have in you. You know, when people go, well, I'm just saying that this is what I'm believing for. You, you don't understand faith. You don't even understand your enemy. You've no, done no research on your enemy. The, one, the moment you said that, the enemy has just gone, what did you say? And here he comes. Amen. Fight with everything in us. Well, guess what? It might be difficult. It might be difficult. Maybe you've been in many battles. I've been in many battles in the last 42 years. But do we relinquish an inch to the enemy? Do we relinquish an inch to the flesh? I mean, not an inch. You don't let the flesh get its own way and then, oh, I'll, I'll get the flesh under control. You need to kick that sucker in the head and kill it. All you're doing is putting off your reward and all you're doing is putting off what actually is your victory because you've allowed the flesh. And as long as you allow the flesh to have an inch, you know the old expression, give it an inch. And before you know it, there's going to be more and more and more because you continually give into it. Are you with me? We are to stay in there and we are to do battle from the very beginning and not let the flesh have its way, not let the enemy have his way, and there will be a release of God's power. You know why? That, this is one of the reasons why the power of God don't work in people's lives. Because they give in to their flesh. They give in to the enemy. Where is the power of God? Right beyond yourself. Right beyond you. It's always right there, just beyond you. But as long as we want to give in to the things of the flesh, give it an inch, let it have its way. Oh, I'll let it have its way for a while, but then I'll get it under control. You think you got it under control. It keeps having its way. Are you with me? This is important stuff. Ephesians 1.18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Well, the part we want to stick with is that you would know the hope of his calling. 
What is the hope of God's calling? Very simply, it's the Word of God coming alive inside of you and directing your steps. Very simply. This is not about the calling to the nations and the calling to the world or the calling to a ministry or the calling to whatever. No, it's obeying the Word of God. He's calling you. Everything in His Word is calling you to a higher way of living, pressing into a greater way of living, pressing into health, pressing into to abundance, pressing into peace, pressing into being fear-free, <coughs> excuse me, pressing in to walking disciplined in life. The Word of God is always calling you. Amen. You know, years ago, uh, when we first got saved and, you know, we didn't have any money or anything. And the Lord would direct Pastor Nid to make a big pot of chili. Some of you remember that. And she would make a big pot of chili and she'd give the chili out. Well, you know, we had a family of four. We're stretching $25 to pay for two weeks worth of groceries, which is a joke today. And, uh, you know, so to give away chili, I mean, this is a big deal, giving away food. And she would give food away. She'd, she'd put it in a, 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 a container and give it to people. And that chili never ran out. She never had to make a second pot of chili. That chili never ran out. Just like the widow in, with the book in, in, with Elisha. Amen. We would have, the, the Lord would direct us to have folks over the house for dinner. Well, we, we didn't have extra food to give for dinner. And we'd have to be believing God for the food. And then as we were getting on staff in church, the Lord would direct us to take, us, take people out for lunch. We didn't have any money for lunch. But we'd take people out. And we'd use the money that we had, but that money was supposed to be used for something else. And I'm not talking about pastoring. I wasn't pastoring at the time. I was just on staff. And I didn't take people out to preach to them and all that other stuff. I took them out to fellowship with them, be friendly with them, and strengthen the bond of the church that we were in. We were in a church. We were on staff. And we wanted to strengthen the bonds of the people within that church. Are you with me? Knitting hearts together. So I wasn't trying to draw people to myself. I wasn't trying to do anything specific or anything that would be of any benefit to myself. It was costing me to do this stuff. And I had to believe God every step of the way. Amen. There's the times that the Holy Spirit told us, I want you to stay in church all day Sunday. Now back then in that church, you had every week was a Sunday morning, Sunday night service. Now we had kids at the time. I think, uh, uh, I think our son was about six years old. And our daughter was about 14. So he would tell us, stay in church all day Sunday. Well, we had kids. What are we going to do? Well, they had to start sleeping in church. They'd take a nap in the afternoon in church. We'd go out and have lunch. Then we'd go back to the church. They would sleep in the church. And we would work in the church all day Sunday. And then be ready for Sunday night service. And had to trust God for everything. Amen. That time of being in the church on Sunday, I learned the book work, spreadsheets, and all that stuff that I had never done before. But I learned how to do all that by staying there on Sunday. And then when God blessed me with a business, the business that I bought, he opened up this book to show me 
and it was a big spreadsheet. And I was like, oh, I know what that is. And I knew how to do it because of what I did in church. Now, if I didn't do that in church, I'd have been like, what is this? I don't know nothing about this. And then I would have gone to somebody else and said, can you figure this out? Can you work this for me? I don't know how to do any of this. Are you with me? When we first started in ministry, we were on schedules, and the pastor would put us on schedules and do different things. Um, we were involved in different areas in the church, being out in the community and things like that. Well, neither one of us had a good car. Our cars were subject to breakdowns. And I didn't believe that breakdowns were a good excuse not to do what God wants you to do. So that was 1984. And I started at that point, started to believe God to be able to get a new vehicle. Because ours was breaking down. And I figured if we get a new vehicle, it won't break down. And we'll be able to do the things God wants us to do without interruption. So we started believing God. And in 1984, I got my first brand new car. And it was a Dodge Aries. What a piece of junk that was. <laughs> and it was brand new, though. And that thing, I don't know what was wrong with it. You'd step on the gas to pull out into traffic. Step on the gas to go, and it'd go, boom, and go, traffic's coming. <laughs> then it would pick up. I was like, oh, no, what is wrong with this thing? Well, I brought it into the shop many, and they didn't have the lemon law back then. Although I, that would have gone in for the lemon law. But it about killed us several times. But it was a new vehicle. It didn't break down. <laughs> it just didn't always go. <laughs> uh, well, from that point on, we started believing God as we had vehicles. Okay, at this point, you know, because being a mechanic, you only keep a car for so long. You don't keep a car forever. You just don't do that. I mean, as a mechanic, you know that. At this point, warranties run out. At this point, this kind of car is good for this amount of miles. This kind of car is good for this amount of miles. So back then, you know, I could gauge that. And it's like, okay, we're getting to this amount of miles. We need to start looking for another vehicle and start believing God for a new vehicle. And we would keep that going all the time. Amen. Why? Because God had set us to do something, and I wasn't going to let anything get in the way of it. And all the things that we were involved in and all the things that God had us to do, we had absolutely no money to do any of it. And we had to believe God every step of the way. But you see, there's something I found in the Bible. It's called the faithful man will abound in blessings. It says the willing and obedient will eat the good of the land. It says that the diligent hand will be made fat. The sloppy hand just gets a little bit of Joe. No offense, Joe. That's sloppy Joe's, in case you didn't get that. Okay. <laughs> but we started understanding some things as we were in the Word of God. We started understanding some things about healing, about tithing, about giving, about sowing seed, about having a better marriage, about operating in the fruit of the Spirit. And we started looking at all of that stuff, and all that started getting in us, and it became the meditations of our heart. 
So when God starts saying, this is what I want you to do, take people out to lunch. This is what I want you to do. I want you to start you know, giving out the pot of chili. I want you to start doing this and whatever it might be. Well, what do you do? Do you wait till the circumstances are? Well, I'll do that as soon as this straightens out in my life. It'll never straighten out because that's the very thing that's stopping you from doing what God wants you to do. It's never going to straighten out. You're going to have to believe God for it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. See, grace gifts are for the calling and for the obedience. There are grace gifts for the calling and for the obedience. So if there's something that's in the word of God that's calling you into a certain direction, ordering your steps, well, there's grace for that. Because grace comes with the word of God. Amen. See, this is what's what it's about, developing a righteous relationship with God. A righteous relationship, a relationship is righteous when the expectations of each party are met. So we have expectations of God. God has expectations of us. Sometimes we don't care about his expectations. We just want ours met. But he has expectations on us. We have it on him. And when we both do what, the, what we're supposed to be doing, then it's a righteous relationship. If one's not doing, then it's an unrighteous relationship. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Talking here about the Apostle Paul. Second Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments. Now, I want you to understand he's laying out why he's a servant of Christ. And why the false teachers are not servants of Christ. He says, I'm far more a servant of Christ in labors in imprisonments, beaten, times without number, often in dangers of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brethren. I have, spent, I have been in labor and hardships through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. Paul's been through some stuff. Now, some people think, Paul, you had no faith. And some people think if they have faith, they'll never have to deal with that. It's just a lie from the devil. You're deceiving yourself. You just don't like difficulty. You're trying to live a life of comfort. And there's no promise of the word for that. There's just a promise of victory. It's amazing how many people want victory and never have to deal with a battle. They want to be an overcomer, but they never want to come to a confrontation. Amazing. But you see, Paul, through all this, is developing his relationship with the, with the Lord and he's encouraging others to do the same. 
And it's amazing when you go through that list of all the things that Paul dealt with, he declares when he wrote to Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know the secret of life, and that is I stay focused on the Lord no matter what the situation is, good, bad, ugly, or no matter what. Hard times, dark times, it doesn't matter. I focus on the Lord, and that's what gets me through everything and anything. So he starts off by talking about lashes. He received lashes. Now, lashes were given with leather straps, and on the end of the straps, there was glass and bone. It was like torture, okay? Your clothes would be removed, you'd get tied to a post, and then you'd get hit, and the straps would actually wrap around your body. It wasn't like you whipped somebody and the, and the whip falls to the ground. You'd lash them, and that would wrap around their body, and then they'd yank those lashes back, and the bone and whatever was in there would just rip your your skin up. And the first third of all lashes was aimed at the upper chest and the face. And these boneheads want to talk about, oh, Paul had an oozy eye. What would you have if you had to go through that? You know. So, after getting hit in the upper chest and the face, the balance of the lashes would be on the back because the victim would be bowed over in excruciating pain. And it was a brutal, bloody ordeal to receive lashes. And he got it five times. And he still didn't quit. Then he got beat with rods. These rods were birch rods around the thick rod. And they would beat you around your body, especially the bottom of your feet. So they broke the bones. And he received this three times. He got stoned. You know, people aren't throwing pebbles at you like playing dodgeball. You know, these are big rocks, okay? And they're directed at your head to crush you and to kill you while you're all bound up. You can't move. And if you remember in Acts 14, he was left for dead. They dragged him out of the city and the believers got around him and raised him from the dead. He was even shipwrecked three times. That's like being in three airplane crashes in one, in one lifetime. And again, some people arrogantly think Paul had no faith. Well, that would never happen to me. You haven't even gotten on the stage yet. And you're boasting that would never happen to you. You haven't even shown up. He had incredible faith. How do you know he had incredible faith? Because all that he dealt with, he never stopped. He never stopped. That's incredible faith. I fought the good fight. I finished my course. Nothing could stop me. Amen. Yeah, nothing could stop. He didn't even stay dead. <laughs> he continued walking. You know, most of his ministry was walking, which is hard to do when they break the bones on the bottom of your feet. But he continued on, continued functioning in his calling. The power of God did not make this happen. It was Paul's choice to continue. And his choice to continue is what released the power of God that enabled him to do the choice to do what God wanted him to do. See, you, get, you always get the, the cart before the horse. You want the power of God to move to make you able. No, you've got to choose to do it. When you choose to do it, the power of God will get released for you. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. 
Paul never gave in. The devil could not stop him. Faith carried him through every ordeal to victory, to reach the goal, the vision, to obey God and to be empowered. And when you read that list, you can only think one thing. What is my problem? What is my problem? It's just so hard. What is your problem? Did you read that list? What is the problem? And then what about the next generation, like Pastor Tim talked about, when they all get carried away to safe places? What's going to happen to that generation? Go to Acts 27. You know, you hear a lot from people. I've been believing God. I'm so tired. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of it. I don't see my total answer. I don't see me getting money like I need to. I have to work two jobs. Faith is so hard. I know the words calling me to a lifestyle of health and abundance and peace, but I just want it done. That's like the diet. You don't want the discipline. You want the diet. Amen. Acts 27. Let's look in verses um, 10 and 11. Paul's on his way to Rome. Okay. And um, he's got a centurion that's in charge of the trip. And of course, Paul is subjected to the centurion and he's got to do what he says. So they're on their way to Rome. And in verse 10 and 11... He said, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. You know, so the centurion is the one that had to make the decision. So the pilot and the captain is giving him information, but then Paul gave him some information also. And... um, We all know the story, but, you know, we know that the centurion should have listened. And although we read that and we go, yeah, he should have listened, do we? Do we listen? Do we listen to the Holy Spirit? Do we hear the Holy Spirit in the pulpit? Do we catch the prophetic word or the warning or the way of escape that he's laying out for us? are, Are we hearing him so we can get ready for things that might be coming up? Or do we sit there and go, I'm not dealing with that, so that really don't pertain to me. Well, it might tomorrow. And you won't be ready for it. Amen. Do we take hold of what the Word of God says, but then do we do it with little faith? Little faith means short-lived faith. Not small in size, but little faith, short-lived faith. In other words, we get a hold of it and all, but then we back off and we back away. Maybe it was sown on the shallow ground. Maybe it was sown among thorns. And we back away from the word. But the centurion did not listen to Paul. He says that he was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship. So we want to understand why the pilot was persuaded not to listen to Paul so that we don't do the same thing. So go up to verse 7. And let's look at the five critical things that cause the pilot to not listen. And these are the same five critical things that we deal with on a regular basis that can cause us to not listen. 
It says, when we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off uh, Snidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of Salmon. All right, so they had sailed slowly for a good many days. And not only did they have to go slow, but it was difficult. This is time consuming. You know, I just want it done. That sounds like a familiar phrase. I just want it done. Well, what is that? That's impatience. You're impatient. You, you don't have the endurance of the fruit of the Spirit working. Your flesh is in control. I'm impatient. This has been difficult. It was laborious. I'm tired. I'm worn out. If it was God, it wouldn't be hard. I should be able to just sail through because God makes all things good and easy. No, I heard Pastor Tim say it. His yoke is good and easy. The trip may not be. Amen. And we think we're talking like God, but it's more like God of the world. The things of God move in flow of the Spirit. And the world is contrary to the things of God. So if the Apostle Paul's on his way to Rome, do you think it's going to be an easy trip? Well, if you're on your way to a goal that God set for you, do you think it's just going to be a cakewalk? You don't think there's an enemy out there that wants to stop you? Amen. Verse 9. So impatience was one thing. Verse 9. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish him. So considerable time had passed. So now we're talking about even more time. I mean, we've been going slow, this has been difficult, and now considerable time has passed. Now, there's a good chance that this may have been a grain ship, and the centurion was in charge of getting the grain back to Rome. So he's a young centurion, he's responsible. Who knows if this isn't his first trip out, and he's got to be responsible to Rome to get this grain over to Rome. So he needs to put on a good show for those that are in charge over him. But the trip has gotten even more dangerous. Okay? And the number one problem that most people quit on God is a lack of self-control. A lack of self-control. Impatient lack of self-control. The, the fruit of the Spirit character is self-control. Patience. Endurance. These are all character traits in Fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. When we talk about patience and self-control, we're not talking about not getting mad at somebody. Oh, I controlled myself. I didn't get mad at him. Great. That's, a, that's one of the small, small battles. We're glad. But you've got to continue on. You've got to learn self-control to walk in the things God's given you to walk in. You've got to learn self-control to walk in that goal that God's given you from his word. You've got to add self-control to your faith, like it talks about in Peter. You've got to have mastery over yourself, like it talks about in Romans chapter 6. I will not let anything master me. I will have mastery over those things. Jesus told his disciples, go to the other side. It was difficult. 
he told the woman with the issue of blood, go and be healed of your affliction. He told us, stay in church all day on Sunday. Well, how long is this going to happen? How long are we going to have to do this? God, another Sunday? It's been two, well, it's been a month now. How long do I have to do this? Impatience. No self-control. Did anybody say stop doing it? Then you keep doing it. Yeah. Amen. Well, how long until you hear otherwise? How many times have you come to the end of a project and you get tired? And you want to lay down. Oh, I just want to lay down. I'm just so tired. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And, and you know, it seems silly. It seems very superficial and insignificant. But those are the things that will determine whether you get over or not. Because that's reality. The little insignificant things are more important than the big things. You know why? Because the big things can't be accomplished unless you walk in the little things. Verse 10 and 11. It says, and he said to them, men, I perceive the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Expert advice. Paul, you know, you preach, leave the sailing to the experts. I remember the time God said to us, said to me, don't get in the boat and don't be on the water. But the captain of the boat, I thought he was an expert because he's traveled all around the Caribbean and everything on his boat. So I listened to the expert. And in the long run, it almost, except by the mercy of God, it almost cost us our lives. Pastor, you need to stick to the Bible. You're no expert on politics. Mm -hmm. Yet it's the same Holy Spirit in all things. Maybe the centurion, you know, suppose the captain and the pilot told the centurion, everything will be okay, we need to get going. And he's thinking, well, I don't know, you know, this guy Paul over here is saying, and they're like, well, what's wrong with you? Who are you going to listen to? You know, we're the experts. Maybe, maybe the centurion had trouble with criticism. You know what advice is, don't you? It's opinion. I don't care if it's an expert or a little pert. It don't matter what kind of pert it is. An expert opinion is just that. It's an opinion. Amen. It could be medical opinion, financial opinion. It could be weight uh, counsel opinion. Uh, you, you need to weigh all that you hear from people and hear the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you don't need advice. You know, I had somebody give me advice about selling my business, but at the same time that he said it, the Holy Spirit spoke inside of me about that advice. And he said, this is what will sell your business. And, we, and after two years of trying to sell the business, I took that advice, and the business sold in one month. See, but it wasn't because of what he said. It's what I heard the Holy Spirit say. Amen. Verse 12. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering. Oh, it's going to be too cold here. We don't want to stay. 
the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. So the, the, the way the wind was blowing, if we could get to Crete, it won't be so windy and so cold there. So that, what is it? They don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We like comfort. It can't be God. We're not comfortable. If I don't do this right now, things are going to get uncomfortable. And what does all that thinking do? Increase pressure. Just as increasing pressure on you. I'll do anything to get it done so that I can be comfortable. And you know, that's the time of major mistakes. Major mistakes. When you just want to get comfortable. I just want it done. Major mistakes are made at that point. The Apostle Paul said, you know, we, we, we're persecuted, we're afflicted on every side, we're knocked down, we're not destroyed, you know. And he always said, you know, we have all this stuff coming against us, but then there is always the deliverance of God. Your flesh is not your deliverer. Your flesh is your problem. <laughs> Our problem. Okay. Amen. You got to keep with the plan, keep with the direction and keep with faith. You think the Apostle Paul was a little bit uncomfortable with the lashes? With the rods? With being shipwrecked? With whether he's in the city or whether he's in the field? No matter where he's at, he's in danger. Whether he's around the Jews or he's around the Gentiles, he's in danger. You think he was uncomfortable? You know, we had rented a church for five years. We rented the Seventh-day Adventist church at five years in, in, in Punta Gorda uh, before we could get into here. And then when they put us out of there, we had to go rent the school, uh, Sally Jones School, for six weeks before we could even get into the building here. Well, that was a five-year deal. That's uncomfortable. You got to set up, tear down, set up, tear down every service. That was uncomfortable. Now, we could have tried to sneak around some of the requirements that the county put out, but that would have just made things worse. But we just wanted it over. Well, it couldn't get over until it was over. When it was over, then it was over. Until then, you got to stay with the course. Not time to be led by discomfort. Amen. The pressure is to cause us to quit. That's all that it's about. Pressure wants to cause you to quit. Pressure wants to cause you to rush, to make major mistakes, and then quitting gets put off because now i got to redo stuff. Amen. Are you with me? And notice what he says here. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow. If you're putting out to sea if somehow. You don't, your decision is me and made on somehow. This is really dangerous, but somehow if we can make it. This is what the majority is ruling on. Wow. They all wanted it. Why? Because if somehow we can get comfortable. I know it's dangerous, but somehow we might make it. Mm -hmm. 
So you got to think about why people give you advice. Why do they give you advice? Some people give you advice for their own personal benefit. Yeah. You know, I was in the automotive business for years, and I know about this. And I know about people that would get advice from mechanics for the mechanic's benefit. The customer didn't need this, but the mechanic's going to make some good money if he can sell you this bill of sale. And I know it happens in every business, but I had firsthand knowledge in the mechanic business. I had bosses, and I worked in tire companies, and I had bosses, and they tell the customer, Oh, yeah, these tires are no good. They're bad. you you got to get rid of them, and we'll sell you a new one, and, and we'll just turn them back to the customer. And I would go over to the customer and tell him, you don't need tires. Don't let him talk you into that. You don't need that. Well, he believed the expert. He didn't think I was the expert. He believed the, the boss. Well, I'm just going to, you know, well, that's, you know, you want to go with their advice, then that's fine. But you have to understand why people are giving you advice. People aren't always giving you advice to help you. You know, a financial advisor might be giving you advice to get involved in something because they're going to make some good profit off of that commission. How about a surgeon? He needs a new Cadillac. Oh, you got to have this surgery. Don't tell me that don't happen. Flesh wants comfort, but your spirit wants victory. All right, the last one, verse 13. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. So now it looks like the circumstances have gotten favorable. The winds that were contrary are now seeming to prove Paul to be wrong. But in the long run, you know the story. Did it pay off? No. Once they got out there into the water, it did not take long for the winds to change. It sucked them in, and now the winds have come to destroy them. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but the season will change. And you need to get out before it does. In fact, don't even get into it. It will change. It will bite you bad. It's designed to. It's just the way it is. And don't think you're going to be the skinny guinea with the tiny hiney, and you're just going to slip around it, and it won't affect you. It will always affect you. What you sow is what you reap. God is not mocked. The laws have been put into motion. If you live it, you will pay for it. It's just the way it is. I didn't write that. So, the five things we were looking at, impatience and lack of self-control, both the same. Listening to expert advice, going with the majority rule, not wanting to be uncomfortable, and then thinking that favorable circumstances are your friend. All of these were appealing to the centurion's reasoning, his flesh, and his ego. And it could make him feel like he was doing the right thing. You know, it's the reasons that we use to doubt when the Holy Spirit says or to stop pressing in or to back off from the direction the Holy Spirit's given to us in any area. Same thing. There's no difference. 
We might be impatient, not using self-control. Maybe somebody else gave us some better advice. Well, you know, the majority, you know, most people aren't doing that. Well, if I go this way, I'm going to really be uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. Oh, look, things have really seemed to be straightening out. Looks like I'll go in that direction. And they're all going to create problems because none of them are the direction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Whether it was healing, prosperity, sowing, reaping, tithing, reaching out to others, having a new car to do ministry, fellowshipping over meals that you pay for, or whatever the Word of God is setting as your path. You need to take the direction and reach the hope of the calling of His Word. And don't let these other things distract you and pull you to the side. Pressures come for one reason, and that is to stop you. In the latter days, pressured, difficult, hard-to-bear times will come. For what reason? To stop you. If we choose to obey God, there will be a release of God's grace and power to help us stand against the pressures, and we'll be able to accomplish His will. And that's what we have to have ourselves set on. We have to have ourselves set on His will. When difficulty times, when difficult times come, when pressures come, don't be looking at the pressure. Don't be looking at the difficulty. You've got to look at the, the will of God, the direction of God, and you've got to say, have I reached this yet? And if not, I need to stay focused and press on in. Take authority over anything that's trying to stop it and press on in to what God wants me to do. Amen. Amen. And if we'll do that, there will be a release of God's power into your life and to help you to accomplish the very thing that he set you to do. It's not like you're trying to get him to do something, unless, of course, it's your own will and it's just what you want. But when it's his will, you know, if my word abides, if I, you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you will, because your will is now his will, and it will be done for you. It's about lining up with his will. You line up with his will, he'll be there all the time. You make the choice, I'm going with the will. I'm not going to be impatient. I'm going with the will. I'm not going with the majority rule. I'm going with the will. I'm not going with the expert advice. I'm going with the will. I'm not going with the favorable circumstances. I'm going with the will. It doesn't matter if I'm comfortable or not. If you do that, power of God will get released for you. It's right there. It's right beyond you. The power of God is right there. Amen. So lift your hands to the Lord. If you're on live stream, podcast, just lift your hands to the Lord. If you're driving your car, keep your hands on the wheel. But let's just be before the Lord right now. And let's just, you know, we don't want to be in that centurion's position. We don't want to be in that place of impatience, discomfort, majority rule expert advice, favorable circles. And we don't want to be led by any of those things that all has to do with the soulish realm, the emotions, and the natural realm. We want to be led by the Spirit of God in our spirit. Holy Spirit, you wrote it down in the Word, and you said that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Holy Spirit, help me, help me 
to grow into being a sheep. Maybe I've got some wolf in me. Maybe I've got some goat in me. But help me to grow into being a sheep. That as a sheep, I will know the shepherd's voice. And another voice I will not follow. Lord, help me to grow from a child of God into a mature son of God so that I can be led by the Spirit of God. Help me in these things, Holy Spirit. Work with me and work in me and help me and strengthen me so that I can follow after you, that I will choose your direction, that I'll go in the way that you would have me to go so that the things on the inside of me can be corrected and therefore I can walk in faith in obedience and in the direction that you set for me through your word and that I will come to the place of fulfilling the hope that your word is calling me to, that it will become a reality in my life, that I see it down the road, but it will become to the place to where I can walk in it, partake of it, and take hold of it. So thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do these things in us. We receive it right now, and thank you for your anointing that breaks every yoke and allows us to step in and take hold of that which you've declared today. We thank you for it. We bless you. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to come before you now with our giving. Thank you, Lord, that we, that we bring the tithe we bring the first fruits or we bring seed sowing. I thank you, Lord, that there is promises in your word for each one and each type of giving. That we declare what your word says, the correct word over your correct type of giving. And Father, I thank you. There's no word of yours that is void of power, but it has within it the inherent ability to come to pass in our life. And thank you, Father, that as we speak your word over our sowing, I thank you, Father, that we have complete confidence, trust, and faith that what you say is the way that it will be. And as we sow our seed today, we head down the direction of the results of that word. And we will not allow the enemy to stop us, will not allow our flesh to stop us, will not allow our unrenewed soul to stop us, but we will press in and take hold of that which you declare. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us again on live stream or podcast. Glad that you could be with us today. And uh, if you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net and click on the giving link. And I do pray that this word has really touched you today and helped you right where you're at. And always remember, there's always the things that the enemy wants to try to get in your way, get in your face, and pressure you to give up, back up, and back off from the things God has for you. But you keep pressing in, you keep taking hold, and keep your eye on the goal of the Word of God, and the power of God will be released on your behalf to be able to take hold of that which God has declared. It belongs to you, Jesus paid the price for it, and it is yours to take hold of. Amen. If there's anything we can ever pray with you about, please let us know. It's always an honor to stand with our partners and believe God for your needs to be met. Amen.